Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined, uh, so the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy! Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And this week we are doing things slightly differently. We're not going to do We See You's, although we're going to kind of like see some things at the top top of the episode and throughout really <laughs> and throughout we're gonna see a lot of uh, a lot of shit but um in the lead up to uh trump's uh i ideally uh his exit from public life forever in the lead up to the election um we're gonna kind of talk about sort of bigger issues in the next three weeks and the case for biden and harris on on bigger issues and get into what Trump's done or hasn't done, where we're, where we are currently in October of 2020, um, on different big kind of policy agenda items, and um, how Biden and Harris we think make the better case for moving forward. Yes. Yeah. And today we'll be doing economy and environment. Woo woo. Woo woo. But first, (laughs) (laughs) Amy Coney Barrett is. It's uh, as we record. It's day two of her of her hearing, and it's uh, (laughs) it's been a doozy. I don't quite know where to begin with this. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I'm just gonna begin at the things that I think really like as as you know ben sass a senator from uh, nebraska like really pisses me off in a very specific way mm-hmm. that makes it hard for me to focus on anything else when he because he gets into this sort of like smug condescending mansplainy space and he seems like the cool football coach slash history teacher that everyone has a crush on and like loves in high school and the whole vibe is so fucked up but i think he encapsulated kind of just the 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 toxicity the hypocrisy um the delusion um of of republicans in the senate judiciary hearing by getting up yesterday and lecturing us on civics um he was trying to frame the amy coney barrett nomination as a civic duty that they had to go forward with. He said things like civics doesn't change every 18 months, which if that were the case, then Senator Sass would have met with Merrick Garland, surely. And surely the Senate Judiciary Committee would have given him a hearing. Um, He tried to dismiss Amy Klobuchar's comments about COVID, um, where she kind of opened and was talking about the landscape in which in which every all of this is taking place and he was like while i agree with some of what senator klobuchar said i don't see how it's relevant you know he was essentially trying to claim that the wheels of government are moving forward the way they should be and if there is toxicity it's something that the democrats are stoking um and that's just that is toxic 
disinformation. He he also engaged in the religious smears. He was, or, and which by the way was only brought up by Republicans last last you know yesterday. Like Democrats didn't go after ACB on faith. I just feel like he he touched on. Oh, I just wanted to out out of the gate, just big old fuck <laughs> you to Ben Sass because I think that he really did kind of get in there and just like tweak every single thing that was frustrating me and. Um, is representative of all that is wrong, but he has a very pleasant face while he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's he's a sneaky snake, and I I also um do not love him. <laughs> <laughs> Great, debate. do not love him. Great debate. <laughs> yeah, and it's we had all these. Um, as I said, it's day two, and uh, yesterday in particular, we had a lot of uh, Democrats speaking out about. Uh, kind of the value of the ACA and also speaking about Roe v. Wade, but the ACA seemed to be kind of the predominant thing. Um, And she, Amy Coney Barrett, has spoken out about the decisions in the past to protect ACA, spoken out against the the decisions. And I mean, her sort of answer to everything pretty much was that she can't say how she would, you know, decide in a certain case without actually presiding over it and being given all the information. And she says she doesn't have any, she's not against any specific laws and that she wouldn't let her personal opinions and choices get in the way. But it's just like, are you supposed to just take your word for it with all of the things that you've said and done? Like she's been in the past has been pretty outspoken about being Mm -hmm. anti-choice. In the past, this was a while ago, but in the past she said that, you know, Catholic judges should recuse themselves from certain cases, which I feel like, inherently like implies that you don't think you can separate your personal values religiously from the cases that you're presented with. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's interesting. Uh, she also spoke out against filling the seat in 2016, but of course they all did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, it was just sort of this, and then of course she, my, one of my biggest issues with her is that she, her, she, which we spoke about a bit, is that she, you know, wants she interprets the Constitution like as it was written, um, even more so than Scalia. Scalia, I always fuck his name up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so even more so than him, and it just doesn't. It doesn't allow for any sort of social change or for the new norms. It's like you can't take a document back from when slavery was a thing you know back then and when you know women didn't have equal rights under the law and people of color didn't have equal rights under the law still don't (laughs) really I mean or do women really with all these attacks but um it's just I don't I don't believe her um she I thought uh Amy Klobuchar has been doing a great job and mm-hmm. she had a very folksy uh, thing today that, that actually, I mean, resonated. She was talking about when she used to go hunting and they'd follow the tracks. And so she was asking Amy, you know, various questions about her opinions on things. And she's like, well, since you won't give us any answers, just have to kind of follow the tracks, like kind of read her record and the things that she said before, um, none of which make me feel great about her as a pick. And then we had Ted Cruz asking her if she plays piano and like it was just so what what are you talking about why are are you just trying to humanize her like what what's going on here um and people saying she can't be racist because two of her children are black which like 
white people can love individual black people and doesn't mean they're not racist. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, inter- in a uh, sort of ruling on about whether felons should be given the right to vote, Amy Coney Barrett kind of made a reference to virtuous people mm-hmm. and the right to vote, which Amy Klobuchar also called out and AC didn't really speak to, but it's like, how are you defining being virtuous? You know, mm-hmm. what are you, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then something I just learned today was that um, there was a racial discrimination case that Barrett decided and she wrote that being called the N-word at work by your supervisor does not constitute a hostile or abusive work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like little things like that throughout her career that <laughs> make me a little nervous, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just been, it's just been a damn shit show. Yeah. I mean, for her, when she answered like about her philosophy of originalism, mm-hmm. which by the way, Ben Sass, not to beat a dead horse, but he conflated, <laughs> he conflated textualism and originalism, which like normally is something that you would forgive of someone. But if he's going to get in there and be lecturing us on civics, I feel like basic con law definitions are something he should have to wrap his head around before he shits out of his mouth. Um, but Amy... ACB was talking about originalism and she said, quote, that means that I interpret the constitution as a law. I understand it to have the meaning that it had at the time people ratified it. That meaning doesn't change over time and it's not up to me to update it or infuse my policy views into it. So it's been pointed out from, you know, all angles that there are many problems with this. There's a problem of, like you said, um, black people would be three fifths of a person. Um, she wouldn't have the right to be a judge. She wouldn't be, women wouldn't have the right to vote. There would be so many things that, you know, the constitution as a law in the 1700s stagnant would, would indicate about 2020. And it's, 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 it's utterly unrealistic, unpractical, and just like, not what a, a progressive society that is, is evolving and changing and expanding to incorporate new rights for people as we become a better place, um, a more perfect union, um, that to be stuck in a trying, tr- also trying to do this sort of like fake historianism of, of mm-hmm. trying to, you know, you're a lawyer, you're not a historian, you're trying to dig and, and search for clues in founding fathers' writings. And it's, it's all a problem. And then it also is works to her and people with like deep religious, con- like religious faith convictions and deeply conservative and wanting to kind of let states do whatever the fuck they want, which means basically you're okay with whatever the lowest common denominator state, like whatever's happening in like Arkansas, you're, Mm -hmm. you are wanting to allow, um, that, that this type of originalism is really just a way to, it's a sneaky way of actually being judicial activists. It's a way Mm -hmm. of actually saying, I, on the court, am going to strike down progressive legislation and popular legislation that was passed by Congress and, and, um, 
supported and, and signed off on by the president, something like the ACA. Mm-hmm. She'll see it as not judicial activism to strike it down because she's warped her understanding of and her judicial philosophy into this like contortion that says that she is somehow respecting the sanctity of the the word of the constitution as law mm-hmm. in a way that is like in alignment with some greater higher value which is bullshit <laughs> yeah and it feels like she picks and chooses like she even in the hearing today admitted said that you know if like search and seizure back when that was written there weren't phones and now there are phones and she's like yeah you know you have to make these adjustments with technology and with new things and so it's like you can you can apply these things to those scenarios, but you can't apply them to things like same-sex relationships and, you know, reproductive rights. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's malarkey as Joe would say. Yeah. And she, she is, we didn't of course expect her to give any type of a real answer on Roe, mm-hmm. but I mean, her answer in a sense is sort of pointed when asked about, what the precedent is on Roe, you know, she, she's just, she's very carefully said today, mm-hmm. specifically with Blumenthal, you know, she was like, Roe has said that, you know, abortion is legal and that that was upheld in mm-hmm. um, like Planned Parenthood v. Casey and a couple of other, you know, she said like, it's been upheld, but mm-hmm. we have, there are indications that some precedent is more worthy of respect in her eyes than other precedent. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Obergefell, the gay rights case, I mean, we have Alito and Thomas who have signals that they have more than signals. They have flat out said like last week that they want to overturn that case. And, and we found out in the last couple of weeks that, um, ACB has signed a couple of letters affirming her belief that life begins at conception and, Mm -hmm. um, right to life, uh, you know, one of which, you know, I, I, if I'm being the most generous person I possibly can be, I understand she, she said she signed it like leaving church one day in 2006. So it wasn't disclosed. And I can understand that. Like you are dashing off and you sign a petition or whatever. You're not Mm -hmm. totally, but, uh, you know, she signed something else, another like letter as a professor at Notre Dame, um, uh, which also affirmed the right to life, um, and that wasn't that wasn't disclosed with all of her other documents. And so there's just sort of this dodginess, like you said last week. She um, and I think there's even more. Um, shoot, I meant to uh, take a screenshot of this and like <laughs> to preserve it for later. But there, um, someone was writing like a whole thing on Twitter about how all of the speeches to a, sp- a specific. I think it's a specific pro-life um, group are on YouTube, except for ACB's speech from like 2014, but all the other ones are. So it's like, you, you just know that they've, they've yeah. been doing this sneaky revisionist history and not that they even need to, right? They don't even need to be that careful because she's, again, she's going to be confirmed barring some sort of like miracle yeah. Democrats. <laughs> um, anyway, so it's just... It's a really dark time. It's dark and I don't, I don't like that. um, I really, really don't like that Republicans sit there and try to cast the Kavanaugh hearing as some sort of three ring circus that was Mm -hmm. like, because Democrats are like dirty scoundrels when it was a valid 
like sexual assault allegation from a woman who, you know, like went about it yeah. the right way. Mm-hmm. I, I hate that. It's, they just like purposely bury their heads in the sand. And it's like, you could, if you cared at all to look into it, like you'd know that, you know, so like, oh, it's been so long since this allegedly happened. It's he said, she said. And it's like, if, you know, and we understand, we won't get into it now, that survivors, it often takes them a long time to come forward with their stories. That's normal. It's like there were people she disclosed to at the time. Like it was a, she didn't have a fucking video of it, but it was a very compelling case. And so acting like, we were using sexual assault to try and get our way. It was just ridiculous. It's like, no, we, we didn't want a sexual predator in a lifetime appointment as mm-hmm. justice, you know, just pretty, pretty basic there. Um, and I did I like seeing that, because, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago at this point that like 50 Notre Dame faculty like came out in support of her. And then I think it was today that it was released that 88 came out saying that she should withdraw from consideration for the Supreme Court. And a lot of it wasn't against her. It was against the fact that this is happening right now as like mm. 4 million people have already voted or mm-hmm. maybe, um, you know, that there's not precedent for this close to the election that's happening. Plus all the shit in 2016, of course. So mm-hmm. um, it was, it was nice to see that because they love touting that like 50 person letter as like, see, she, she's well loved and respected and bipartisan and she's gonna, you know, and then all these people saying they wouldn't confirm, um, or a couple people, I'll have to check which Senator specifically and Trump, of course, saying they wouldn't confirm someone who was, unless they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade and stuff. And then, oh yeah. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> Josh Hawley being one yes. of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Joshy boy. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to just sit and watch it happen and, you know, to, to hear these, like, on one hand, to, like, hear these, like, by, the, by and large, like, well-reasoned and thoughtful and passionate pleas from Democrats for that to happen and knowing that she's just going to go through anyway, and then also for that to be happening and so many people and, like, people on the right mm-hmm. not even seeing what's happening or caring, and it's just... Mm. Yeah. You know, it's a lifetime fucking appointment. She's young for um, her Supreme Court, so. And she's also, I think it's worth pointing out that um, she was only appointed uh, because she was appointed to a seat in the Seventh Circuit that um, Mitch McConnell had held open for her. Um, Yeah. Obama had had an appointment. um, I think her name, uh, she was a black attorney, Myra Selby. And um, that was his choice. And Mitch McConnell left open over 105 uh, appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, when we talk about, and, and anyone who had, any, who had any principle and any care for, I think, like for their legacy and for the integrity of the process, for instance, mm-hmm. like if ACB was someone who had a little bit more, I think, um, Hmm, I don't know, morality, sense of, uh, sense of perspective here. I, I would think that she could buy herself a lot of easy goodwill by just saying, I'm so honored by this appointment. Um, I would like to just wait until, and I realize, I mean, obviously this is a career. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this is asking a lot of someone cause you're at the, yeah. you know, you're about to get what is like a career gold achievement. Yeah. It's the top um, level in the Sims, you know, it's like the, I guess you can it's, play it's, that. A, it's, it's the top of the career line, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I get that. Um, but I think that she could have like, I mean, 
I wouldn't have even been surprised if Joe Biden won the election and and ACB had said, I want to wait and be nominated. I want to wait until the next, like that would really, would that would place a lot of pressure on a Democrat to appoint her or to do something good for her because she acted in a way that was consistent with like what Republicans weren't doing. And Mm -hmm. although I'm sure they would have just like appointed another person. So, you know, I don't know what I expect from her, but I mean, it's certainly, it's just a really, it's really disappointing. And it's really like, I think that that casts like the rest of what we're going to talk about too, into a, into a specific kind of, some kind of light, because it just, it's a really kind of dark time to be people in this world. Around. (laughs) Like you said, like... It's not not easy beans. <laughs> and it's kind of like we already thought things. I mean, remember what feels like a hundred years ago, which was probably just what like three weeks ago when mm-hmm. RBG was still alive and on the court, and we uh, thought that we thought that it was unimaginably hard at that moment, and mm-hmm. and so to be kind of thrown this like just another like grenade, <laughs> um, it feels like it it. it it is, it is people's full-time job to be fact-checking Donald Trump at all times, but to have to fact-check most of the Republican Senate and, like, try to call out pundits when they're being bullshit, and then to call out, like, even the New York Times and other people for this bullsidism and this aggressive need to try to seem like they're balanced when, like, what? we've I mean, we've lost the balance thread is, like, not in existence right now. We no. We're not there. Um, so it's just, it's, it's like intellectually exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's mentally and physically and emotionally exhausting. There's bickering with relatives. There's, you know, like just every little thing. So this has just been the cherry on top of, of yeah. a hellacious four years. So hellacious because it's just like so many rights are at stake. And because like over Overfall versus Hodges that you spoke to, which was, you know, the decision that gave us same sex marriage. So it's like if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, if you are someone who is queer or gay or trans, like it's just unless you are a very like wealthy cis white person, particularly a man, like this ain't, this ain't great. This ain't great for anybody. Um, so fingers crossed for a miracle. <laughs> oh, so uh, funny sidebar. Not re- maybe not for our entire audience, but I was earlier today, like mm-hmm. just feeling dark about everything. Lol. And mm-hmm. my brother texted asking like what, what I thought of like Bill Burr on SNL. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't have time for this. I know. I literally said something kind of, well, there was a bit of back and forth, but it was just like, I don't, um, I just, mm, we can discuss yeah. Bill Burr at, a, at another at time. another time. Like, yes, I, I agree. White women are complicit and yeah, you know, need to be held accountable. But I don't love everything Bill Barr does. But I agree. I agree. White ladies. He's he's he. Yeah. That. I mean, I was not as upset as the rest of Twitter on that. Like, but it was definitely. I was just sort of like, I don't know. I just also don't think he's funny. But anyway, a little Bill Barr conversation. Yeah, maybe we'll have a we'll have a bonus episode. (laughs) (laughs) Really dive into it. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. So I guess we'll talk a little bit about some voter suppression, and then we'll dive into. uh, 
the economy and the environment keeping it light keeping it fresh keeping it light <laughs> just yeah apparently um, we roll along yes i guess we can start in the great state of california where i hail from mm. um where they had to send out systems of cease letters because Republicans were putting these unauthorized election ballot drop boxes across California, um, which you can't just like do. And they would, uh, they put signs on that they're official, uh, like advertised um, on the Fresno County Republican Party's website. There was a list of secure ballot drop offs, including its own offices, gun shops, other businesses where they put those drop box sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not allowed to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> thankfully, there's been a cease and desist, and that's down from the website now. But they're just, they are out there. They're trying their shady little things. Like, oh, come. <laughs> vote and come get a gun like <laughs> yeah and they said they're not gonna stop it's like they're yeah. just like we did that yep even though our party at the highest level is talking is crying voter fraud mm-hmm. we are doing it actually yeah like, it's like oh my god my brain is gonna be broke soon like yes <laughs> <laughs> so many things swirling around in there every day just more and more <laughs> it's a lot um especially the logic part of your brain we were like i mean it's on overdrive like none of this makes any logical sense and everyone's immune from shame and truth matters not very much anymore so okay um there's this uh, lawyer on Twitter, Mark Elias, and he um, updates via Democracy Docket, and he has like he's basically like the Democratic warrior for all these voter suppression efforts at the last minute. Um, so he's sort of like sending out updates periodically. Um, yesterday, there was like a lot of news about um, it was the first day to vote in Georgia, and people were waiting in line for. 11 hours um and that's just ah, um it just shouldn't happen and we shouldn't be like i think dan rather someone was like reminding us that like we shouldn't be posting these things and being like good for them you know it should Mm -hmm. be more of like this is horrendous this is horrendous and um mark elias said um that uh in polling places there's um i guess from a survey of uh, you know, the polling places that have opened already, what, uh, the data that they have in polling places where minorities constituted more than 90% of active registered voters, the average minimum wait time in the evening was 51 minutes. When white, uh, whites constituted more than 90% of registered voters, the average, uh, wait was around six minutes. Um, And we've spoken about, I mean, there's uh, many OECU that we've gone through. Georgia obviously has, or there's a whole documentary too about it. Mm. Um, I think it's called They got issues. (laughs) They have a ton of issues and they've really limited the amount of like early voting places and access to, um, to early voting. And there's a lot of ways in which they can discount your vote once you do vote. So it's kind of trash, but, um, yeah, to, to see that people were waiting in line. If you want to help make waiting in line less painful there is a site pizza to the polls and they contract <laughs> to like local pizza joints and they send pizza to people who are waiting so um and if if anyone knows of like other places feel free to send them like if there are local places in georgia or texas mm-hmm. um but 
I just know of pizza to the bowls. So <laughs> bowls, I love it. Yeah, it's the lines were insane. Like up to 10, 11 hours and like at least six hours in, in Cobb County where which is a county that's of particular interest because it was Republican for a very long time and in recent elections has kind of been turning more Democrat. And so it's, yeah, it's like these places with more voters of color or where, you know, Republicans are really wanting, wanting to get in there. It's, uh, we're having some quite the lines and it's, yeah, it's, it is, there is, it is inspirational, I guess, to see, people going and waiting and doing that but it's like they should like you said they shouldn't have to do it not everyone can do that Mm -hmm. um it's yeah it shouldn't be expected of anyone and not everyone can do it so it's just like this shouldn't be we it shouldn't be that fucking hard to vote in this country no or anywhere no and because you know trump gets to a point he's appointed uh well over a quarter of the judges on the circuit court at this point um we are there are lots of conservative courts hearing these cases these um tests these lawsuits um in terms of voting uh voter freedoms and um today a georgia judge dismissed uh one of the democrats lawsuits because the fear of long lines they said was quote too speculative um and last night the fifth circuit court overturned um a democratic lawsuit victory that we had celebrated oh that's why because i had put that as a good thing and then it was overturned by the circuit court so i was like "Mm." (laughs) just kidding (laughs) um but yeah there was supposed to be there was a victory um against Texas's governor Abbott limiting counties to one ballot drop-off location because that's absurd. There are some counties in Texas that have like Mm -hmm. a million people and others that have like 12. It's just like ridiculous. It's insane. Texas is, yeah. Texas is its own thing. It's its own beast, man. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like there's other stuff going on too like i mean in florida and in virginia now i saw from today there was a notification that um accidentally there was a cord cut like actually let me just i'm like this was that the it's the last day to register to vote in virginia and um yeah and the news came out today that an accidentally cut cable has caused the entire virginia voting registration online system to go down on the last day to register to vote before election day oh that's great that's what we want okay it's like you know and a lot of twitter twitter was like for a second the word accidentally was trending because people were just like accidentally someone just cut the also the fact that you could just like cut a cord and like whole the whole access to like registration in virginia is like fully canceled is is sort of unsettling and that's that same thing happened in florida and the circuit court that was challenged you know that when it came up to the courts to say hey we need to extend the florida deadline by one day so that everyone can get anyone you know there was there was a rush to register to vote like forty thousand people weren't able to register on the last day and the court said nope <laughs> Nope, you can't. So these are all things that when you see that those those voter margins are so razor thin, think about the fact that we've disenfranchised felon, ex-felons in Florida and made it really hard, even though they passed that proposition that 
was going to re-enfranchise everyone. And then sneaky, sneaky Republicans were like, no, they have to pay all their court fines, even if it's like handwritten from 30 years ago. And it's impossible to track down what they owe in any sort like centralized system. Anyway, just think about all these little bullshit things <laughs> happening on the state level. Yeah. And keep your peepers peeped. And you know, if there's anything you can do in your area and you just got to and hopefully we can elect some people and kind of get voting, getting, 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 getting voting rights back would be great. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, it would. It would. All right. Shall we mosey over to the economy? Yeah. Fun. <laughs> so we're going to start with um, speaking kind of about Trump, the Trump-Pence administration. I don't know how much Pence actually influences anything. Um, no idea. And then after that, we'll get it. Uh, Biden and Harris and their plan. Um, and I mean, it's Trump's plan is just to kind of continue policies of his first term because he, I mean, he's always talking about how he fixed the economy. And, mm-hmm. but the thing is, he didn't fix the economy. It was doing great. We're just fine with office. Um, in the last three years of Obama's presidency, the economy created more jobs and unemployment fell more than in Trump's first three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course now COVID times, so the economy has been hit <laughs> super hard. Um, highest unemployment rate we hit in 80 years at one point. And, you know, Republicans say we can't blame Trump for the pandemic, but we can blame him for the response. Um, we're not going to get super into COVID today. It's going to be more the health mm-hmm. health episode. Um, but it's important to start out sort of debunking this idea that Trump fixed something mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, when in reality, it's like you can, you can look at the stats, you can look at the, the data, you can look at it very clearly and see that that's not what happened. Um, and let's see. On um, one thing I do want to talk about um, is the the Trump tax cuts, mm-hmm. um, which was when you know they cut the corporate tax rate from thirty five to twenty one percent, and they said it was going to increase the average household income by four thousand, and you know. It was going to trickle down, even though we know it trickle down doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what ended up happening was corporations, many of them who do production offshore, not in this country, and the wealthy benefited the most from the tax cuts. Um, 60% of the cuts went to people in the top 20%. And overall, uh, it didn't, this didn't help people who, who needed the help. It did what you know Trump likes to do. It helped pad the pockets of corporations and the wealthy. Um, and you know Republicans always like to say that they are great, great with the economy. You know there are even now is there's you know Biden's ahead in the polls, but voters are still 50-50 split on who they think would do better by the economy. And it's you know you can look at when I know you have some info on this too, but it's like you look at you know. Clinton and Obama and you compare them to Bush and these other, you can look, you can make comparisons of how different policies impacted things and when the economy was stronger. And there's this idea that by investing into social programs and stuff, you're just throwing this money away. When in reality, like investing in, you know, infrastructure and clean energy and education, like these things create more jobs and a better economy. And 
you know, actually, and not, and giving tax cuts to the people who actually need it rather than saying you're giving tax cuts and people just take you at face value and don't realize that you're actually <laughs> only helping, you know, the people who need it the least and big corporations. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's ridiculous. And um, regarding like the foreign business at home bit, the, during the first 18 months of Trump's presidency, the annual rate, uh, at which major federal contractors offshore job, jobs more than doubled. So during the first year and a half, the rate of major federal contracts going out of this country more than doubled. Um, and government contracts awarded directly to foreign companies are up 30%. Um, and our military has become more reliant on foreign suppliers. DOD foreign contracts up 20, 12%. Like all kinds of... <laughs> All kinds of shit. And there's plenty more. What would you like to get into next? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think I just definitely want to underline that the tax reform that, you know, was basically the only major piece of legislation that Trump's really actually been able to get through in his four years, um, hmm. you know, was touted as something that was going to raise the median income by between four and $9,000 a year for the average median household. And um, it looks like from a conservative estimate, it raised, um, or sorry, from like a more liberal estimate, it raised uh, the median household income, maybe about $533. Like, and that is kind of in taking a look at the broad, broad economy and how, how, um, income was, was going up. And because there, because Trump, benefited from um, the economic expansion that was started in 2009 under Obama. Um, the, like we've talked about, it's just this like, I think Democrats unfortunately have a harder job because there's like something very um, calming, I think, about Republicans being able to distill their argument in a, into something very simple, which is just like tax cuts, you know, that, that helps, that helps growth. Um, the benefits trickle down. Um, we want more money in the, like in the pocket of Americans and don't tell that we don't want government to be telling you what to do. And, um, and then they sort of warp uh, a historic view of, of what the economy of what has actually happened with the economy. Um, the major, the best periods of the biggest economic growth in the last century happened uh, in the 1950s and the 1990s. And those coincided with raising taxes on wealthy individuals and corporations by huge numbers. Um, and anytime, you know, when you look at states who have tried to use the trickle-down effect, um, uh, in a more extreme way, like Kansas, like Governor Brownback, um, that had disastrous effects and it basically bankrupted the state of Kansas and it just, it did not work. Um, the, when you look at um, California raising taxes under um, Jerry Brown, conservatives called it economic suicide and the economy boomed. Um, and, it's a little bit exhausting to have to go back and just say like both of the, you know, both of the Bush presidencies, there was not great uh, economic performance and they were also trying to cut taxes and um, trying to like limit 
limit social programs and um, we're also blowing the deficit out of the water. Um, so just a brief, like just even just taking a quick look at that history, it's kind of, I just, just have to underline, you know, that, that, that when it comes to, you know, reducing taxes for the wealthy, um, that is not, that has not historically been a successful model for, um, for successful economic growth. Um, also, um, in 2025, in the individual tax cut that Trump put in place will expire. Um, and the Tax Policy Center, which is a nonpartisan think tank in Washington, D.C., um, found that uh, the poorest people in the country are going to see their taxes increase and definitely in 2025, while wealthy households will continue to get tax breaks, um, which is not surprising to me, but just sort of cynically, I was looking at it as like, well, if Trump had an eight, eight year term presidency, like in 2025, the individual tax cuts expire, you know, it's like right after it would ever be his problem. That is assuming that he relinquishes power. Anyway, it's just, um, and I think like we were talking about, um, more philosophically, there is, then we can get into specifics, but just that as we're talking about this, because it is hard because I'm not an economist. Like I, I, I struggle to wrap my brain around the different like ways in which the, in which economic forces like are changing and, and reactive to the markets and um, all sorts, all sorts of that, all sorts of that stuff. But I think that like, it's precisely because it benefits the small uh, population of like of wealthy people and of people in Washington to keep it as um, a system that seems out of out of our grasp. And it, it isn't. It just takes it takes a little bit of looking, a little bit of research, a little bit of history um, to kind of. Uh, ground yourself in in what what is really happening and what forces really look like over the last century and more specifically the last 40 years, like since Reagan sort of decided to do the, the great deregulation that he, that he did. Um, And Trump always loves to tout, I mean, he also touts unemployment number success and all these other things that aren't true. He also likes to tout stock market, stock market, stock market. And um, I mean, what, yes, the, I mean, pandemic aside, you know, the stock market was doing pretty well under Trump, but one, like in terms of who owns stocks, um, so this study is from, uh, about five years ago, but the top 1% of households own 38% of the stock market wealth. The top 10% of households own 81% of stock wealth. And then the next 10%, so the 80th to 90th percentile of Americans own 11%. And so the bottom 80% owe, own only 8%. And most Americans, like not every American has stocks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't have stocks. And so yeah. it's like when you're looking at the stock market, it's, it's not reflective of how everyday Americans are doing. It is by no means a, a holistic measure of the economic health of a country, you know, it's a very, very limited measure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, that how the stock market's doing doesn't, doesn't 
me, if the stock market's doing well, it doesn't mean people are employed, people are making living wages, people have access to healthcare, people have access to clean energy or clean air, clean water. It doesn't mean people have access to transportation. It doesn't mean people have access to go vote. Like it, mm-hmm. the stock market is not representative of, of the health of our, of our economy. And it's, I just, it's, I hate that he just always acts as if he's been this economic genius. Um, and he always, like, I mean, he, he, <laughs> this is anecdotal. I actually don't know this based on the thing I've read, but I feel like I have noticed in the last four years, this is before the pandemic, just the volatility of the stock market <laughs> as someone who doesn't really pay attention. Um, I, to the stock market, it's, it's been something that, uh, I noticed because it would suddenly make the news. Oh, Trump tweeted something and stocks fell like a historic amount, um, or had like the lowest dip since the great recession. And, or since it was, um, since like we were keeping track of stocks. Um, so those were things that I think like, while growth was still happening up until the pandemic. It was sort of like volatile um, between Trump's tweeting, sending the market like scattering and his trade wars because he was campaigning on America first and Hmm. trying to help revive the manufacturing and coal sectors. Um, He, you know, was slapping tariffs on uh, China and other competitors um in a way that um was seemed kind of like random and punitive and um they backfired um because then china had retaliatory tariffs also Mm -hmm. and then that sort of fucked with like the u.s with manufacturing jobs that were trying to get more of those raw materials in from china um so you know it's it's it looks like um before the pandemic, China and the U.S. were, like, going to be kind of working together to try to stop these, like, retaliatory tariff, like, wars. And um, China had said that they would uh, tighten protections for U.S. intellectual property and be better with, like, technology, um, technology sharing and different, like, security uh markets um and financial services but i think um i think the pandemic and trump calling it the kung flu um probably halted any of those economic talks (laughs) yeah yeah like you said the trade war like just did it it's like it was it's a classic example of him trying to project power and then doing something incredibly stupid and then just, I guess, banking on the fact that his supporters won't really look into it. (laughs) But yeah, like you said, it's like steel tariffs really hurt um, automakers in the U.S. And um, there were various economic studies, nonpartisan, that found that U.S. consumers were forced to pay almost all of the cost of Trump's import taxes. Um, So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> trade war not super successful buddy um yeah that has been just so frustrating with with him is because he just says these things and then his supporters just believe them and it's for like at least nine percent of this shit it's not hard to do to look into it and and see how it's impacted things and whether it was a good idea or not you know 
but right. They just don't do that. Yeah. I mean, and he was in the interest of being like, making sure that like we're being fair, like the, before the pandemic, yes, the U S employment rate was at a, it was very low. It was for almost a half century low. Um, and just the unemployment rates for white, black and Latinos had decreased. So it was sort of like people broad, there was like this broad prosperity, quote unquote, in terms of, of an unemployment rate that was calculable mm-hmm. that um, Trump was planning on running on before the pandemic. And that would have been his strongest argument um, because I think, I, I mean, at least I certainly was expecting to see more um, economic uncertainty and, and crashing and burning. Like w- before the pandemic, it seems cute to even think about this, but the fear was that like the economy would just be great, great, great. And then all of the the fallout from the volatility of Trump's presidency would crash on, and fall onto the new democratic nominee. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's just, and now it's, I mean, he's been exposed for obviously being his incompetent response to the pandemic, um, especially when you look at other people and we'll get into that in a different episode, but just that, you know, he, he, it's so interesting that he was, he was totally relying on being able to say, to, to tout his economic record um, as if it existed in a vacuum. And I think that's something to like, for people to think about is that like it, the, the economy does not, not exist in a vacuum and it doesn't, you, you have to be looking at like trends over years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It sure is. Is there any, anything else you want to mention before we scoot over to Biden, uh, Biden Harris and their kind of economic plan? No, I think, I think we good. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, all right. So one thing on, I guess, to speak to the tax front, um, they want to slightly increase the taxes like 0.4% on those making more than $400,000, um, which I feel like I need to scream because all over the internet, it's like there are been several prominent Republicans um, saying that you know, they're going to raise taxes on like 98% of Americans. Um, not the case. Uh, no, <laughs> that's, no, that's not what's happening. And as we talked about in the kind of Trump section, like these, these types of taxes are the things that taxes on the wealthy are the things that can help the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than tax cuts for them, which also just makes sense. (laughs) And we have, you know, decades of data, but uh, I guess we'll still have this fight every four years. (laughs) Yeah, we will. (laughs) I guess we we sure will. Yeah, and he's uh, sort of the the main takeaways I sort of have from his plan are sort of taking the pandemic out of it, because we're going to be talking about that the week after next. is a $2 trillion for clean uh, energy overhaul, um, and then a million and $1.5 trillion uh, split between support uh, for children and the elderly and for manufacturing. Um, and he's planning to put a lot of money basically into infrastructure, education, clean energy, uh, things that are incredibly important in terms of, uh, I mean, humans <laughs> existing yeah. and, and having equality, but also in terms of 
you know, strengthening the economy. Um, because when you think about all of these new clean energy jobs, mm-hmm. someone has to do them. Um, and also real focus on, um, on making things in America, um, mm-hmm. with very, and you can go to his website and check out the specifics of all of, all of the plans, but he has thorough, uh, thorough yeah, they're, plans. They're detailed. It's like Warren wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, she might've actually, she might have, <laughs> she might have helped, she might have helped him. Who knows? Um, but there's also an emphasis on investing in all of America, you know, reaching communities outside of Harvard law um, mm-hmm. and encouraging training and education uh, across the states, including rural communities, urban communities um, with unprecedented investments in communities of color and an emphasis on small businesses. Um, so that's, that's all good. Cause like, you know, I mentioned before with Trump, it's, more and more jobs are going offshore and mm-hmm. um and there are loopholes that exist that kind of redirect taxpayer dollars to foreign companies um which in turn supports foreign jobs and foreign industries and biden has this multi-part plan to close some of those loopholes bring back and also bring back production and manufacturing here and and not have these benefits for if you're you're offshore, um, mm-hmm. which is which is great. And um, there are even like nonpartisan groups like Goldman Sachs, <laughs> Moody's Analytics, yeah. um, mark his proposals high. Um, and you know they, I think in particular the infrastructure and education spending, uh, because as they say, it strengthens the economy in the long run and boosts it over the next few years. And this was from them. Um, And when Moody's ran the program through their model, it concluded that by the end of 2024, the real gross domestic product, so the GDP, the real thing, would be 4.5% higher than under a continuation of Trump's policies. And that translates to about an additional 7 million jobs. Um, So... Supported by credible, nonpartisan analytics... Uh, yeah, and of course those are models, so there could be some variation, but it's there is a consensus that Biden's plan is significantly better than Trump's plan for the economy um, and would result in greater economic growth. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, Biden would roll back that corporate tax cut, like um, you had said, the way that the, replacing the spending um, from corporate tax cuts and replacing that with like actual social programs, which like you said, we were talking earlier, like these social programs, the dollar goes a lot further in terms of like economic stability for more people Mm -hmm. than the corporate tax cuts, which, um, and now I'm struggling to find in my notes, the actual statistic, but um, what we've seen is that the wealthiest people that benefited from that tax cut, I guess this would have been better in the last section, but where the, um, instead of having those benefits trickle down, a lot of people use that windfall to shore up their own stocks and their own equity in the companies that they were already making a lot of money in. (laughs) So again, like I, and I wish I actually had that, that stat in front of me, but, um, the, it's the concept that we see happening over and over and over again, the rich get richer. And and when given the opportunity, they will bulk up their own 
wealth mm-hmm. um and then they have more resources to bulk up their wealth it's just like this like snowman of um of 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 disgusting wealth and the when insulating themselves from any way any government inter- interference or regulations that would um help uh distribute that to other people who who need it more and who can't advocate for it yeah it's like the the richest among us are richer than they've ever been and the wealth gap is incredibly wide and it's basically like economy wise it's choosing between trump who has fucked it up (laughs) yeah he's flubbed it he's gone after policies that have been proven not to work he's you know started foolish trade wars because of his own need to stomp around and be a toddler. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Biden's plan would, would shrink that wealth gap because, you know, you're, you're addressing these things that make, when you invest, and it also, I mean, and beyond like the numbers of, of it all, which all, which all support <laughs> Biden's plan mm-hmm. as well. It's, you can't, people like to say fiscally conservative, socially liberal and things like that, but it's like, you can't tie these things out and it's, it's a quality of life issue. And it's why don't you want to invest in education? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want everyone to have access to, to good education? Why, why do you think the people with billions of dollars <laughs> don't need to put more into it when people are struggling to get by? Um, you know, we need, we need higher minimum wage. We need all of these things so that people can live their lives and breathe and not be so paycheck to paycheck and struggling. And, um, it's, it's just, it would just be so much better (laughs) for the world. Yeah. I, uh, there's this, um, link that my cousin sent me that, uh, for visualizing. And if you want to open it, I'll put it on the, in the show notes, but, um, I think that also it's better to look at it on a laptop or a desktop as opposed to your phone, but, um, it's mcorosoff.github.io. And it's a, it's a visualization essentially of Jeff Bezos's wealth at 200 billion to like the median household income. Um, but the way that they visualize it is like a, um, a scaled uh, ledger or ruler that you just scroll through and it's represented to scale. So um, they talk about how his wealth at 200 billion is quite literally unimaginable and um, Americans, you know, and because it's unimaginable, Americans consistently are underestimating the relative wealth of the super rich because you just can't even comprehend once you get to the scale that, uh, Jeff Bezos is actually at, um, and they, you know, they scale it to things like, oh, you know, 200 billion, here's, here's 1.7 million, which is, you know, all the money you would ever earn your whole life from the day you're born until the day you die, you know, about 1.7 million for the average person. It's, it's, um, it's extraordinary. And I think like in helping us to understand going forward what the economy needs, um, mm-hmm. it's probably helpful to really actually tackle income inequality and look at the the gap between Jeff Bezos and everyone else and the gap between mm-hmm. like the top 10 tech guys who have seen their wealth increase like by a trillion dollars or something unthinkable mm-hmm. since the pandemic and everyone else it's it's worth like just checking out so um anyway m korostoff 
github.io and I'll just add it in the show notes because it's not the most easy to remember thing. <laughs> doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Doesn't roll off the tongue, but worth checking out. <laughs> yeah, it's, and somewhat like there's, there's no, I, there's this idea that it's just like, oh, well, you, if you work hard, you make a lot of money and it's yours. But is Jeff, Jeff Bezos working that many times harder than people <laughs> making minimum wage? Like, no, it's not, we're not really paying people for Friendly. the work they're doing, you know? <laughs> He's working 200 billion times harder than a firefighter. I'm convinced. I'm convinced of it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, I'm not saying like, you know, places shouldn't offer promotions for good work and things like that. But it's like, we need to even the playing field. We need to raise minimum wage. We need to fucking cap these outrageous amounts of money that these people are making, or at least tax the hell out of them after a certain amount of money. Um, Because it's just, it's, it's not right. And it wasn't earned in any, in a real way, you know? No, no. I'm not saying Jeff Bezos doesn't work hard. Okay. I'm just right, saying. right. Just does he work 200 billion times harder than everyone else? No. Yeah. And it's like, who are, it's also, I think, dangerous when we make value judgments about individual jobs in, I mean, outside of, I mean, if you're like a, an assassin and you know, things like that, but I'm very clear kind of moral, moral issues, but just saying like, Oh, if you work this minimum wage job, you must not be smart or you must not be worthy of this or that. And it's just, it's not true. And it just reduces people. It just reduces people to their jobs and doesn't even give people um, sort of credit or respect for the jobs they're doing unless they fall within this, you know, realm of what people think is a cool thing to do, you know, but yeah. Everyone should be able to afford to live in some sort of housing, mm-hmm. eat their food, clothe themselves. Like it shouldn't, it, and we can afford it if we just tax these people. It's, and it's not even a real burden on them. You it's know? not. It's like, it's more money than you could even spend in your lifetime. You know, it's just like, it's, it's not some burden to them. It's, the amount it would help the <laughs> the country as a whole, you know. Uh, it's kind of crazy, but I mean, I guess it isn't. But yeah, it's it's definitely sad that just thinking about if you were someone who was lucky enough or talented enough mm-hmm. to have like figured out Amazon or whatever and became a multi billionaire. I mean, what a an exciting thing mm-hmm. that you would suddenly be able to like clothe every person in the country if you put your mind to it or you know like you could really do some good just so quickly and so directly and that that just doesn't really happen and still be able to have like a million million dollar houses all over the place like yeah you know it's like you'd still have for like a billion dollar house like you're you'd be fine dude um and then i just want to mention uh university of pennsylvania wharton school where trump went and said he was really great and then 
Mm-hmm. They were like, can't release transcripts without his permission, but I don't remember it that way. Um, <laughs> anyway, University of Pennsylvania, Wharton School, very respected. Um, they also looked at the economic proposals and said that Joe Biden's would create a faster growing economy, higher wages for American workers, and reduce the debt compared to where the U.S. is headed under Trump. Mm-hmm. So there, another, <laughs> another, another reputable source. Another endorsement. Also, the, the Wall Street Journal said, you know, Biden's tax plan would spur economic growth and wealth would be shared more broadly and even free marketers see the benefit of more res- um, revenue. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like, so it was like, oh, even from uh, this guy who's a professor at Harvard and mm-hmm. chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors for three years. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's not just, you know, and if you're hearing this, you're like, no, I don't. And it's always hard for humans. We've all had experiences where we believe something's true because we've just kind of always believed it. Um, and it doesn't mean you're an idiot if you believe something, you know, it's not true. You just have to go and look into it and really take your blinders off and do the research. Um mm-hmm. Because it's like we all have our own ideas and prejudices and beliefs, and then, you know, we learn and we get new information and we grow theoretically, right? So it's, Mm -hmm. if you are a Republican and you think Republican policy is great for the economy and you... And you absolutely don't believe us at all. Like, just do your own research and don't go to Breitbart. Like, oh my God. Go to, yeah. you know, it's. You just have to go to multiple sources. And, yeah. you know, and they have to be like real ones. Yeah. And check the sources, you know, just do your due diligence. And I just really wish you could get, because I think that's one thing there are, the things the Republican Party, I feel like, have over the Democratic Party in terms of perception are like the ability to build economic strength. And then if you're, um, you know, evangelical or have certain beliefs, like, you know, they want to do it with abortion and things like that. So it's, if we could really get past this idea that the economy <laughs> is mm-hmm. good under Republican policies, that would be great. It really, really would <laughs> or, be everyone or like maybe Republicans, you know, maybe you can stop doing that shit and uh, start doing things that work and come up with, I don't know, (laughs) come up with different things to complain about. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. All right. Should we get into climate change? Boop, boop, boop. Yeah. Boop, boop, boop. Good call not to do the we see yous. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, for a little context, uh, I texted Maria the other day. I was like, I'm just like going through my notes and there's so much to like call out, but just for time's sake, I feel like if we, uh, we're gonna get into it and <laughs> we postponed just for this series yeah um, yeah so yeah. climate um Ugh. so we'll start with trumpy he's in the past he's repeatedly called climate change a hoax mm-hmm. um he has while in office just done away with so many environmental protections I believe 100 mm-hmm. yeah trump and his administration as of july of this past of 2020 this past year trump and his administration were in the process of or had completed reversing 100 environmental rules there's a full list of that on the new york times website new york times oh my god um <laughs> but they are each one like links to like read more about this read more you know it's color-coded check it yeah. out yeah Right. <laughs> Check it out. It's color coded. And it's, you know, Trump's EPA, which is run by a former coal industry lobbyist, Andrew Wheeler. Mm. Um, 
it's, and it's, you know, he's, I think I spoke to this on one episode, but even some like oil companies and automakers, um, who tend to be like into some regulation rollback for, you know, the bottom, bottom line have opposed, uh, the rollbacks that he's done. We've mm-hmm. done, we've done several, we see on specific things that he has done within, um, sort of that realm. Um, mm-hmm. and he, Back in 2012, you said that global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make U.S. manufacturing non-competitive. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know he withdrew from the Paris Climate Accord, global agreement to reduce carbon emissions. Um, he's mocked efforts at um, increasing energy efficiency in a rally in 2017. And that summer, that's when he was talking about, like, what's wrong with the low-flow showerheads and toilets and he oh my suggest, God, that was he suggested insane. yeah he suggested that wind turbines cause cancer um and he and he's and he's just like so um he's so partisan about it too because in florida last month trump extended a ban on offshore drilling supported by the republican governor in a key election you know mm, state mm-hmm. but he hasn't done the same for Democrat-led states in the Northeast that have requested it. <laughs> um, so that's, he sees uh, everything through his partisan lens of red or blue. It's really yeah, something. It's it's nuts, and it's he, um, and it's kind of like the economy and everything else, where he says he's done all these great things, and then you you follow the tracks mm-hmm. with Amy Klobuchar and her family going hunting and you find <laughs> yeah, it's not true. Like he said, we have the cleanest air we've ever had over the last 40 years. And the only truth to that is over the past like 40 years, the overall level of like major air, there are six like major air pollutants has decreased. Um, but that's since the seventies, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when, uh, and they've been falling, um, each year, um, mm-hmm. overall, but he's, uh, the, the administration and Trump have been working to, and part of what they're doing, like weaken various air quality standards. Um, so, you know, he touts, he heard somewhere that it's, you know, that the air is better, not realizing or caring that that's not quite painting the full picture there. Um, and in 2018, uh, there was a downward trend of certain key pollutants that started to reverse itself. Um when greenhouse gases began rising again after they fell to an all year or not an all year, a 25 year low in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it would seem <laughs> that uh, he's not respond. He's, he hasn't given us the, the greatest air in the world. I think an air quality where some air water quality that were, 20 something in the world. Oh no, in clean in water, we're ranked 26th in the world on sanitation and drinking water. Mm, great. Um, Cause he said he's committed to ensuring that we have the cleanest water on earth. Um, mm. Tell that to Flint. And of course the repeal of the 2015 waters, the United States rule, which placed limits on polluting chemicals that could be used near bodies of water. 
um, because he thought it was restrict restrictive to industrial uh, goals. <laughs> so. I mean, reading through the, reading through these lists of things is in some senses it's, it's easier than the environment because you're just like bad bad harmful mm -hmm. very harmful very toxic harmful mm -hmm. like uh, and in this way there is no like lag time it's like the the statistics and the you know things things update quickly in terms of what the air quality is um mm -hmm. you know and what uh what's happening with the water and um, when it comes to the fires and the sea level rising and the hurricanes, I mean, even the most skepti skeptics like, uh, you know, Mike Pence at the debate last week, or was it two weeks ago when he was like, time, time is nothing at this point. But um, when he was like, well, what did he say? It was like, we'll believe... I think we should listen to science and let the scientists do their, I mean, it was basically like let scientists do science mm -hmm. when he and his party continue to essentially undermine and dismiss scientific findings mm -hmm. and the validity constantly, of all, you know, all the time. And regulation is the only way to get greedy companies to, uh, conform their behaviors to make the world a better place. You need legal incentive incentives to keep everyone in place. And going through these lists, it's just like revoking flood standards, revoking all like weakening rules and, mm -hmm. and it's just down the list. Really? Um, I, I, I don't, this is definitely one of those things where I don't see how um, conservatives look down this list mm -hmm. and can give me a coherent un like explanation for how these weakening of these different like fuel economy standards and um, flood standards and methane flaring rules and like, mm -hmm. you know, toxic regulations on air pollution, like you said, and clean power pan, like scrapping that, how specifically has this made ha, has this helped with the economy has it helped mm -hmm. with economic growth what about the Paris, Paris climate treaty and in what mm -hmm. way was this non-binding symbolic like global effort uh mm -hmm. how is the U.S. better by being one of the few countries to not be there I mean I, I don't I don't I don't see any counterweight even in a weak sense as to why all these regulations being scrapped is actually good for business and good for humans and good right. for the economy. Yeah. And it's like his attempt to, and some level of success to take formally protected lands and encourage logging and things like that, where it went that there, which not only take, cause obviously when you have large, large forests and things like that, that's, that's good in terms of the climate crisis fight. Cause you got the trees <laughs> doing mm -hmm. what trees do. Right. And then he gets in there and not only are the trees removed, but the process of it is polluting. So it's like, you're taking away something that helps the environment mm -hmm. and you're throwing some more poison at it. It's just ridiculous. And, um, the I have, I have a little thing, a little moment about the wildfires um, mm. and his, <laughs> because wildfires, climate crisis, they go together. Um, yeah. He, during 
those, you know, when California, when we, everything was on fire, <laughs> when, <laughs> um, he went down to California and he was at this like round table and there, the California secretary for natural resources, Wade Crowfoot at this round table, um, was kind of urging people, I think he said, yeah, don't put your head in the sand and, and just ignore the warming climate. And Trump said, it'll start getting cooler. You just watch. And then Crowfoot oh. said, I wish science agreed with you. And then Trump said, okay, well, I don't think science knows actually. Oh God, um, I remember that. <laughs> it's just like, great. Um, he entirely blames, uh, well, let me back up. The link between fires and climate is... It, we, we know uh, higher temperatures trap more water in the atmosphere. And when more water is trapped in the atmosphere, vegetation, plants, they dry out. When they're dry, they're more likely to catch on fire. Um, and these fires burn hotter, longer, faster. Um, and if you just look at the ones that were in California recently, like they were they burned through tree plantations, wild forests. They jumped rivers like these aren't your your everyday <laughs> your everyday fires you know they're getting worse um and you know trump kind of blames the forest fires entirely on forest management i think what do you say you have to rake the ground or sweep the ground or whatever um and it's like scientists agree that there's not really any amount of forest management that can stop these disasters from getting worse and worse as the climate crisis gets worse and worse. Um, and there's also, I looked a bit into the science of like treating forests and forest management, and it is um, incredibly complicated actually. And there, <laughs> there's not just one thing you can do, like rake the floors. It's, it's different depending on where you are. And some of these methods all of these methods won't work 100% with the climate crisis um, getting worse, and some of them are already not really working anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, he's uh, he's not responding. So it's like this is a crisis that happens under his watch. These wildfires, the worst charting charting the records as being you know throughout the West Coast, there are different record breaking fires. Um, and his just, you know, refusal to acknowledge that uh, climate is is part of it is um, quite awful. And there's also a um, something that oh yeah the uh, the country's uh, fire science budget has been slashed and Trump has actually tried to eliminate it altogether twice. Mm. The country's fire science budget and apparently states uh, budgets are, they've had to scale back as well because of the pandemic. So it's just like, he's, it's not just that he's saying things that aren't true and believing things that aren't true. He, as is the case with so many of so many different policies and aspects of, you know, the, what he's supposed to be doing. Um, he's harming, he's harming people in the process. And it's, it's not just like, Oh, he doesn't get it. It's like, he doesn't get it. And people have and will die for it. Um, so. And we'll be answerable to our grandkids, you know, to the generations mm-hmm. to come on this. And he won't be around for that much longer. Thank fuck. Mm-hmm. And just in the scale of like, the the earth's like you know 
Earth the scale time. of time, of Earth's yeah. time, you know, because I'm a science scientist. Science Earth time. Scientist. This is the scale of Earth's time. Um, but th- there's um, the New York Times Magazine did this. Um, they have this series that they're doing with um, ProPublica as a partnership where they talk about climate migration and how that's going to reshape America in the generations to come and they talk about how in the next like 80 years millions of people are going to be displaced and they talk about like kind of like map out where they think like the migrants u.s migrants are going to be going and where there will be certain areas that already are and definitely in the you know in the future are going to be completely unlivable what areas will be underwater or just too beset by hurricanes um and um how climate like the urbanization of um different cities will lead to unemployment and more competition for different um services and it's going to further like widespread poverty um they talk about like um there's just like the kind of uh, just different just the ways that different areas of the country are gonna be um be affected and how the country is going to look like a totally different place in our lifetime. And that is due to climate migration. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was kind of chilling when the smoke was fully in the, I mean, we've had, there are always smoky summers here to some extent, but when it was just, and just feeling like, is this going to be most days at some point? Like it's, it's, because we're already, we're already feeling the effects to an extreme extent. And like you said, as, if this continues to go the way it is, it's going to get really, really, really bad until there is no more, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of our greatest existential threats. (laughs) And it's, it's, and it, yeah, and it, it should be taken seriously. I mean, I, I, it's so easy to get downplayed in the debates and I love like, as you know, in watching the debate, going back to AOC, you know, and she's Mm -hmm. sort of like, she refuses to let it be dismissed. And, you know, it's very, as usual, she's like very calm and collected about it. But mm-hmm. like, she kind of was like, hey guys, like fracking's bad. Um, the Green New Deal is like the only thing that we should be, you know, it's the only thing we should be talking about. You know, it's not, it's not ridiculous to be proposing mm-hmm. something radical because that's what we need policy-wise. Um, yeah. You know, and like, they, Biden is, I think, being pushed further to the left than he maybe would normally be if he was to create just just in Biden's own world some sort of like climate policy. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think that this is something that is urgent. And I think if you live on the West Coast, mm-hmm. I mean, or if the if East like, Coast or the South, <laughs> right? But like, I, yeah, if you're living like in a place that's currently, um, although yeah, like currently being battered with by a hurricane or being choked by the smoke, mm-hmm. you it feels more urgent than perhaps if you're in DC or Boston or New York or like something. It it definitely has exposed, I think, mm-hmm. a little bit of the uh, the. East Coast uh, bias of news mm-hmm. a little bit. Not that, I mean, I think it's getting a fair amount of coverage, but just texting like friends and family on the East mm-hmm. Coast and being like, no, it's toxic to breathe outside. Uh, yeah. It's not, you can't do anything. Um, yeah. We're worse than Kazakhstan. So, yeah. mm. 
Yeah. It's beyond. <laughs> then on the other hand, we have Biden and Harris, and they have a plan, and it's not awful. It's not awful. <laughs> yeah, to ensure um, that we achieve a 100% clean energy economy and reach net zero emissions no later than 2050, mm-hmm. um, including signing uh, a series of executive orders on the on day one um which sounds delightful Actual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> executive orders on day one um and he's going he said he'll demand that congress um puts forth legislation in the first year of his presidency to and these this is directly from his website these three points mm-hmm. to establish an enforcement mechanism that includes milestone targets no later than the end of his first term in 2025 make a historic investment in clean energy and climate research and innovation and incentivize the rapid deployment of clean energy innovations across the economy especially in communities most impacted by climate change um which i think sounds uh really great yeah um making decisions driven by data and science uh, what very exciting didn't know the bar was ever going to be there but nice to see it spelled out yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think get us back on like good standing in um in the world and not just on good standing but working with our international partners again um Mm -hmm. of course he'll go back to the paris agreement i don't think anyone wondered yeah (laughs) about that but he also lays out um the desire to lead an effort to instead of just signing on to that in addition to that um leading an effort to have every major country ramp up uh their domestic climate targets um and he said he'll make sure that they're transparent and enforceable commitments. Um, so that's good, too, because I think in, in many different ways, we are, um, we've, our relationships with other countries are, are frayed a bit right now. Um, mm-hmm. And it also, I mean, it's the earth, it's a global, it's the definition of a global effort. Um, so it's... And he's, you know, spoken to the fact that uh, he will um, work specifically to target communities of color and low-income communities that have been kind of long neglected um, mm-hmm. in all of this. So it's, you know, it's it's a plan to to work on on new solutions to to create new jobs through this these clean energy investments these infrastructure investments um and part of his investments too are in rebuilding and in building and in all this infrastructure work ensuring that they're able to withstand all the threats of the climate crisis now right so Mm. it's um i think what does it call his plan the build back better some something <laughs> something's but like catchy enough to kind of remember um build back better <laughs> yeah build back better um and of course putting you know pollution methane pollution limits back in place putting uh, kind of reinvigorating the epa <laughs> to yeah. do what they do probably undo a lot of the trump things um in addition to reducing the, the gas emissions and, um, you know, investing in communities that need it and just really tackling this the way it needs to be tackled. Yeah. 
it's kind of exciting to see him wrap together all these different ideas and 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 have them be interconnected in a big huge plan because i think Mm -hmm. that's one way to also get something huge passed early like yeah if he has that hundred days and he has this build back better and it's two trillion dollars and like he does it Mm -hmm. suddenly we're off to the races and can be like you said like suddenly there's Mm -hmm. every week's infrastructure week but actually Mm -hmm. and we're like a biden administration and suddenly there's a mandate for the, from the mm-hmm. people and then from the legislature. And I mean, the, the, the fear is that mm-hmm. my brain goes straight to like, will the Supreme court overturn? I was just thinking, <laughs> like, oh, God damn it. Um, then I guess what he does is move swiftly to add a couple more seats to rebalance. But I mean, it's, it's hard to, it is really hard. I mean, that's again, we're not to be, because I do, I feel enormously hopeful when I look at his climate plan and when I think about mm-hmm. him and Kamala and like A, O, C, you know, and like Katie Porter, like people just like getting shit done. Yeah. But I can't help it because of the, the, the specter of, of what Trump and his, his administration has done and the way that they have fucked with the judicial system. I do get nervous that yeah. there's going to be the judicial activism from the right. They're going to rein this shit in and... I think that that's that is where we get back to a, a necessary rebalance if we're going to have mm-hmm. a court that's checking the will of the people and you know the legislature. It's just mm, yeah, it's we'll scary. see what happens. Oh, I can't help it. Oh no, rabbit hole. Oh yeah. Well, another thing that's good if it lasts is um, his <laughs> plan um, to conserve thirty percent three zero of America's lands and waters by twenty thirty, yes. which is great and incredibly important. Um, and that includes the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and other places, you know, like I spoke about Alaska in some episode and what Trump was up to. Mm-hmm. Um, where Trump has just <laughs> balls to the walls, you know. Yeah. Really trying to it's just it's so short-sighted and evil to try and fuck over to fuck over the environment in the in the process of doing anything you know um and so it would just be so wonderful to have someone that not only believes in climate change low low bar um but that wants to put together a plan with that already has put together a plan but wants to you know go another step further and, and put together this, you know, by 2025, exactly what this will be and, and how we're, we're going to do it. And, um, you know, just someone that takes climate change, climate crisis seriously and will aggressively um, do what we need to do. Cause that's, we need, we need, <laughs> we need to, yeah. um, it's not yesterday's issue. You know, it's, it is right now it is happening. Um, and we need to do what we can to, you know, curtail the pollution and, you know, the, the greenhouse gases and all of that jazz um, while ensuring, um, you know, structures are safe for what does happen in the meantime um, and that people in communities that normally aren't, that are kind of forgotten have, you know, have access to clean air and clean water and, all the good things. It's really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm and, <laughs> and jobs come from a lot of these things again. Economy, environment, together, holding yeah. hands. Mm. I mean, 
I'm glad that we kind of went through the economy and the environment in this way because actually taking a look at what the violin Paris plan is mm -hmm. like it seems so silly but I actually don't think I mean I don't remember the last time I'd gone to the violin Paris website mm -hmm. like specifically to get information about their plans because you I, we hear mm -hmm. them talk about all the time I feel like they're tweeting stuff a lot so there's a, mm -hmm. a sense of feeling like you're inundated when you actually read um their plans and the the detail and mm -hmm. the the different prongs of each thing um it really is it's exciting it's it's it feels it actually does fill me with hope in a way that that I, I actually find kind of unexpected um it's great to see risk and reduction as like something that they want to do in terms of like prioritizing um equitably um uh, this risk reduction across um different different groups and to have a task force to decrease the risk of climate change to children the elderly people with disabilities vulnerable like populations and to launch an infectious disease defense initiative and it, it, like i'm just reading these things off of off of their website now but um and to to tie um natural disasters with the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I am so excited for an administration that can see things holistically yeah. and understand the way that we need to problems and um, affect each other. And I'm hopeful that with a leader like Joe Biden and with Kamala um, at his side, we, can at least like we can begin to heal because it is such a painful just i mean it's just a pain it's a really painful time to be experiencing um the life toxic brokenness <laughs> that's happening right now yeah life. life life i mean especially like you know yeah we're we're like 29 30 and like looking ahead at like what's supposed to be i don't know like mm -hmm an exciting time and it feels yeah. like very deeply scary and stressful so clouded in darkness yeah and yeah everyone should go to the um the website and check like check out all the plans and what's going on um trump doesn't have any sort of um plans listed on his website i find that shocking <laughs> yeah i went i went to look at there's a section promises kept where he claims to have kept a bunch of these promises and i haven't looked through all of them yet but um hmm not super uh, <laughs> his words super aren't great. tied to meaning <laughs> yeah it's great so you know so, so when you look for like trump's 2020 platform it's like you find people speculating and saying put, piecing together things he said but he doesn't actually have it on his website um and that's a funny thing that, like, it does seem as we get closer to the elect election day that people looking back at 2016, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't much to say for Trump in terms of, like, compliments, but it did seem like four years ago, while he was generally incoherent, there was, like, the, 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 the part of the plan that was cohesive was, you know, that he was running against Hillary, against the establishment. And he was, mm -hmm. because he was like, just absolutely hammering that message and, 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 you know, verbally 
abusing her and anyone that got in mm-hmm. his way, he was able to stay on message. And this time, as much as he desperately wants to run against Hillary and they're reopening an email he's for He's trying. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. If he's trying, he can't run against, he, he's not running against a woman, which sucks for him because like he, that would fall right into his comfort mm-hmm. base. He has to run against a, another old white man. And that's, that, that seems to have actually kind of handicapped him, which is funny. I wouldn't have really thought about it that way, but he doesn't know what to yeah. do. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. It's like, he can't. <clears throat> yeah. Like, what are you, what are you running on buddy? And it's <laughs> when I just went back to his website, um, just, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm like, let me check the about section. Yeah, no, nothing there. Um, <laughs> but the, when you go to his website, it just says president Trump wants you to have the signed football. And it's got a picture of him and a football. Oh, wow. <laughs> Great. All well, American. Yeah. What's your plan though? Butteroo. Um, so yes, yeah, so we'll continue um, with these the case for Biden Harris for the next couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, which will be it'll be great. It's a great way to kind of also like kind of synthesize all these things for ourselves. I think, yeah. um, because uh, there's a lot. And then yeah, next week we're gonna focus on civil rights, and we're gonna end the week after with pandemic, healthcare, COVID, kind of that. And then there'll be other kind of themes running throughout but those are kind of our main our main focus areas um so yeah vote fucking biden please if you can vote yet go and vote um one thing i'm doing it's called postcards to voters and you just i mean clock's ticking on it now um Mm. but you can still get in there and do some where they're they're targeted like likely biden voters who have basically voters that they think would probably vote biden but haven't maybe didn't vote last time or there are various metrics they use to target these voters but regardless you send them like a um, a postcard like a handwritten postcard and to encourage them to vote and it's it's just one kind of small thing but um it's one thing to do and it's in of course mm-hmm. uh, key key races yeah so. yeah i think that's donate so your money and pizza to the polls and <laughs> yeah and vote save america has a lot of resources if you go there mm-hmm. um for your own filling out your own ballots uh, they explain all the initiatives but they also mm-hmm. talk about different ways that you can volunteer i'm yeah. looking into volunteering as like um i think you can work the phones on election day in certain places to assist mm-hmm. with any like questions like in Florida or Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I might take it. I'm, I think I'm just going to take the day off work and like do that. Cause I'll at least yeah. feel like I'm doing something helpful. So yeah. everyone look into make sure that if you can, you're healthy, you yeah, assist with, 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 um, with voting. It's so, imp- yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it, this is this is it. We're in the final stretch. Yeah, and have uncomfortable conversations with the uh, independents, the maybe Biden voters, the Trump supporters. Like, have those uncomfortable conversations with the people in your life, mm-hmm. um, and you know, do your research and and listen to what the heart is of what they're saying and what they want, and try to respond to that with um, facts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, we will. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, oh, wait, yeah. good thing. You had a good, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave we'll it. Leave it well, basically, yeah. <laughs> yes, no, we will end with um, we will end with a good thing. Um, there were, let me just pull up the actual screenshot. There's a group of um, young women, uh, Nigerian Irish women, um, who won an international 
con, uh, competition for app development and they developed an app that helps people with and caregivers for people with dementia um, that I believe is in up in the app store now, but it um, was just a really cool thing to see. One, um, just an example of, you know, technology being used for good and it responding to a need um, that maybe not every app developer would think of. I guess one of the creators, her mother has dementia, so um, it makes sense that they would come up with a, you know, an app for that. Um, and, you know, it's just always, I think, nice to highlight great tech um, creations and advancements, not at the hands of, you know, white dudes. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) just kind of highlight that there is a a diversity of talent out there that is not reflected in many of the the, uh, demographics of who works at these places. Yeah. So yes, I always love seeing young women doing STEM stuff and, you know, Yay. Yay. That is great. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And now we'll leave it there. (laughs) Everyone have a good week. Have a good week. Vote if you can. Um. (laughs) Bye.